Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Lindell Keith. Welcome to Getting Live with Lindell Keith. Dude, I am so stoked to bring to you tonight's guest. This conversation is going to be absolutely amazing. It's my friend Damon Harris. Damon Harris with Fellows Inc. Architecture, Design, Real Estate Development. Uh, they do all of it. They're here in Dallas. Really cool dude, extremely sharp, very talented, super smart, and a whiz when it comes to the financial aspect side of things. So, so glad you guys can make it. Please welcome Damon Harris. Two times a week in the gym? Yeah, back when I was lifting. Yeah, it was twice a week. I mean, twice a day. I mean, twice a day. What did I say? Twice a week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Habits I, I aspire to. I'm trying to get to twice a week. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm, now I'm trying to just get back to once, once a day, you know? Uh, at least five days, but back then I was yeah lifting. I was lifting actually too heavy, and I was just like, it's not good. It wasn't good for me, so I'm just like, I need to, I need to cut it back. Cause now, uh, not saying I'm an old guy, but at my age, I just want to stay chiseled and strong. Not, not I want to be huge anymore. That's not, yeah. that's not cool for me. Trying to get swolliosis. Yeah, man. I was, I was, I was. I was pretty heavy for a little while when I was lifting. I was like, this is not cool. I don't want to carry this much mass. So I'm going to bring it back down. There was a comedian that used to tell a joke about he would go to his 24-hour fitness, and he used to always laugh at the people, like, in there really getting it. And he would say, dude, calm down. It's open 24 hours, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing. It's just like, I don't know, when I when we had – when we had the, the, the cancer scare in the family, it's like everybody became health nuts overnight because that's what, you know, that's yeah. what people do. You, you change. You, you have to change immediately. So um, I don't know. We kind of discussed this before, but for the listening audience and future folks, it was just like, so my father had um, uh, stage four lung cancer. That's what finally took his life. But even before that, there were some things that, started to appear and show up mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know how he actually processed it or I mean I know he went to the doctor I know he took medication and I know but as far as his actual internal health and making a constant intentional stride to fix it I don't know if he I don't feel that he did it you know fully and and my thing is this I'm not knocking my old man he did a lot of things right uh, he gave me a great example he worked hard. He showed me how to think outside the box. He was very innovative. Um, but, you know, when he was growing up in, in Southeast Texas, Kirbyville, Texas, his, his family was so poor that actually, if, if there was no food in the house, or there was nothing on the farm that you could actually eat, which is be vegetable or, or cow or, or, you know, pig, you have to go out and actually hunt it, bring it back, and then go through the process and then eat it. So that was that was his 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 upbringing, his childhood. So he was used to you know having to survive. Right, right. Uh, that, that Boy Scout mentality, that Eagle Scout mentality. Exactly. So yeah. when he got older, and he started making decent money, um, he worked at Dupont. He was an electrician uh, by trade. Then when he retired, he was in contract management. But in between that time, we had uh, uh, he had a janitorial company, and he also had a construction company on the side. So though, that's how I learned, uh, A, to, you know, uh, uh, 
be clean about my work environment from the janitorial side. And then also the construction side, as far as wiring, dismantling, demolition, sheetrock, roofing, framing, the whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, and as time went on, I got into, when I was in high school, I got into uh, architecture when I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, and then it just took off from there. And I was like, you know, I'm done with working with dad. I want to work with other people because, you know, when you, when I saw that um, he and I could only get to a certain point of, of work, and I don't mean that as far as, you know, dollar signs, I meant that as far as the things that we can actually do together, I wanted to explore other options and do other things and, and get it to where I knew a whole lot more instead of just, you know, what was in that small town. So I moved away from uh, from Orange, Texas, and I moved out to Dallas, and things just started clicking. I went back to school and uh, finished my schooling here, and uh, things started to take off. But I guess throughout that whole um, scenario, that upbringing, I, I had a lot of great uh, examples, a lot of good things to fall back on. I just try to reflect on what he taught me, what my mother taught me. She was the she was a nurturer. She was, the, I mean, just very laid back and calm lady, sweet as she could be. Uh, and I've only heard her in my life raise her voice maybe about three or four times. That was it. Yeah, that's Ever. a lot, lot like my mother too, man. That's that's how I, what I grew up with as far as the, the mother, just very, very chill and trying to keep things peaceful, you know, and yeah. super nurturing and, and loving and you know, that really helped me a lot, but also at the same time, I think uh, I, I could have probably used a little bit sterner. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was a little yeah. bit wild, you know what I'm saying? So I, I yeah. could have used a couple more switches to the backside or something like that, like grandma. Oh, used. man. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I needed that. Uh, my yeah. dad was in, my dad was in Portugal. He was the strict one. He was, she kind of leveled him out a little bit. She, at the times when she was like, don't be so hard on him that he gives up. At the same time, be hard enough to where he realizes he has to push himself. Right. So, you know, there were three of us. I had two older brothers. And uh, I think, you know, throughout the, the first two, he learned a lot about not only their personalities, but his own. And then he finally got to me. And I think she did the same thing. She learned about a lot about their personalities and her own. And then they finally got to me and kind of had a, uh, as my brother would say, he said, they had a different formula for you. I was like, well, if that's how you want to call it, that's what you say. But he was like, yeah, it was, it was a different approach for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. Um, but at the same time, it's like even now looking at us as adults, you know, there, there are things that will always be traumatic in someone or someone else's mind, always. There's always yeah. going to be something they say, wow, this didn't go that well. And they may keep that in the in, in the back of their mind. And it's, it's two choices that person can make at some point. They're going to say, either this is going to hurt me or it's going to help me. And, and, and very seldom do we find people say, this is going to push me to get through whatever I have to get through. Because if I made it through this, that, and the other at that age, I can get through this right now at this age. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's just a matter of, uh, it's like you have to make up your mind to accept, hey, this isn't working the way I want to, what can I do to change it? And then really analyze and look at your formulas and say, okay, what can I do to tweak it, turn it? If I have to rebuild it, worst case scenario, I'll rebuild it. But you have to say to yourself, I have to get past it 
and uh, it's 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 about growth, personal growth and development. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that uh, that saying: pain is inevitable, and suffering is optional. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I, you, you losing your parents was just, and then it happened. Oh yeah. Close to each other, didn't it? Yeah, two years, two weeks apart. My dad died in in March thirtieth. Uh, of 2006 and my mom was April the 15th of 2008. Oh wow that's so, that's been a little while for you then I, I thought it was a little more yeah. recent than that. No no it's, it's been a little while it has yeah. um, but it, it's like I was saying earlier her person that may feel like yesterday yeah depending on who it is uh, yeah and chronologically it's a while ago but depending on which son or which brother you ask, it's like, oh man, it still feels like yesterday. Or one may say, I'm, I'm doing better. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and another may say, yeah, I just, I just focus on the positive and keep on moving. A lot of people say don't dwell on the past, but in this situation, I encourage people to dwell on stuff, the positive side of what you encountered, you know? Yeah. yeah. So did your, did both of your parents, have a growth mindset or did they kind of operate more from a place of this is it and I'm satisfied mindset? Oh no, 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 no. It was, it was straight growth. It was always push, push, push. And dad was, uh, my dad was extremely, uh, he was a perfectionist. He likes stuff to be just so, and it, that can help you or hurt you as an entrepreneur. So you can, you can try so hard, so long, so whatever, blah, 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 that you get caught up in details. And then you miss the whole project because you wasted time on something tiny. Mm. But it's getting it to where I'm not saying acceptable or, or mediocre type mindset. I'm saying do the best that you can of your ability within the time frame that you have. And then if things have to be tweaked or adjusted, go back and adjust it. But don't don't try to get it perfect because it's humanly impossible to be perfect. You can, right. You're not going to get there. Uh, at the same time, it's like, due to the best of your ability and, and then constantly try to improve as you grow on through uh, other projects and other whatever, you know, life changes. But it has to be a growing on. It can't just be, I'm moving on to this. But have you changed mentally? You know what I mean? Right. So uh, that was, yeah, that was one of the bigger things. It's, um, it, was, it was weird. It was real weird because that's the only time in my life where I felt helpless. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. but uh yeah so with you being you know you being a, a successful architect and real estate developer and all of the things that you've done uh, throughout your career at that point in time whenever that went down where were you at on, <laughs> on that? let me tell you god it's weird to say that because and right now let me just say for the record i, I cannot say i'm an architect in a public forum because that you can be fine for that so i'm a designer but I am studying for my license right now uh, and, and getting that done. But it's kind of here nor, here nor there, but I've been in construction architecture for a number of years, 32 to be exact. Um, at that time, when, when, I, when my first parent got ill and it was obvious they were ill, um, I was working for an architecture firm and I was driving back and forth to Tyler, Texas, because that's where my father was in the hospital. And I was going back and forth so often, according to 
my supervisor or I wouldn't be my supervisor. Matter of fact, it was like the, the VP of operations, I guess. He said that I wasn't producing. And he, he may have been right. He may have, because I had so much on my mind. And uh, and actually, I was laid off. And my father wasn't even, he was not gone yet. Mm-hmm. I was just going back and forth so much every weekend to Tyler. It's only like an hour and a half, two hour drive. But it, it was taking a lot out of me. And uh, right before my father died, I got laid off. Now, at the time I was married, at the time, you know, I, we were in our home and we had bills, we had cars, we had all this other stuff. And then we still had to take care of things for my mother who was still alive and and take care of my father who was about to, you know, pass away. So it was a, it was a lot. It was yeah. a lot to deal with. Man, that, uh, that's a whole lot. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hmm. I got through that. Um, he passed away. Um, I found another, you know, place of employment. And uh, I found out not too long after I was there that uh, my mother was sick. And I remember exactly where she was when, where I was when she told me she was sick. Uh, Dad had stage four leukemia. I mean, stage four lung cancer. My mom called me on the phone. She says, I have leukemia. And I was like, what? I just sat there quiet. Didn't say a word. And I'm thinking to myself, so I've, I've, I didn't want to say this, but I'm thinking it. I've heard so many negative things about leukemia. Is there a chance of her survival? So I have a, uh, a friend of mine that works with the, the hospitals a lot. Another friend of mine that is a, a nurse. Uh, some other people around, you know, hospital and medical. Uh, so I asked, I said, I said, what, uh, what do you know about leukemia? This is a, uh, a mature lady that I see as like a mother figure to me. I said, what do you know about leukemia? She'd heard already my mom was sick. And I just kind of sprang this on her because I knew her personality. She wasn't going to say anything negative. So I just have to read her body language. Mm. And when I said it, her eyes got really big and they started to well up. And she got really quiet. And I said, okay, that's all I need to know. So I started to ask a few more people and I kept getting the same response. So I started getting myself prepared right then for what was about to happen. And uh, she, she passed away quickly after we found out she was only alive for another maybe two or three months. It's kind of the same way my dad was when I found out he was sick. 30 days later, he was gone. Damn. So uh, uh, that was the weirdest. That's the most helpless I've ever felt in my life, mm. ever. But I, um, I was sad. Yes, at the same time I was, I was, uh, I guess, just bent on being successful. And I was like, I'm not gonna let this stop me because if they were alive and saw me slowing down and becoming sad, they, they're like, well, What are you doing? Don't don't slow down on my account. Keep going. You know. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, on on that note. You, you and I were, were blessed because we, we come from a background of growth mindset individuals. Right. A lot of people aren't that fortunate, you know? 
Right. Right. What would your suggestion be if someone, you know, that was raised kind of in a different type of environment, more kind of worry, more kind of doubt, more kind of fear driven and oriented, what would your like advice based on a, on a kind of a growth and, and development aspect, what would your, your advice be of one thing that someone could do to get out of that pit that may, they may be experiencing from that type of loss? What would be a good, from your perspective, what would be a good thing to try to focus on to shift gears and get out of that? Because that's tough. Yeah, it is. You have to, and this is going to sound really weird or uh, robotic-like, but this is what you, this is what I did. This is what worked for me. And this is what I would tell you when I met the stranger on the street. Uh, You have to actually, A, have time in which you grieve. You literally have to schedule that and, and do that. That's not something that's actually recommended to carry with you and bottle up. So you need to get that out. It's just like any other type of waste or pain. It has to be expelled from the body. So it has to get out, number one. Number two, and I'm gonna use, I think this is the wrong word to make the right effect. Unlearn negative habits that are not conducive to your successful future. So you have to look at yourself and actually be honest with you and say, what habits or thought routines do I need to get rid of? And which ones do I need to pick up? And then do it. It's, it takes time. And it is, it's, it's never ending, but it gets easier as you start the process and practice the process. You become uh, basically in, in the mastery of fixing you. You'll never be perfect. You'll never master it com- completely. But you're more open to what you may be doing wrong or what you're not being necessarily successful in because the thought is the most powerful thing absolutely if if your thoughts are wrong you're not going to be successful i'm sorry it's just not going to happen no it's absolutely impossible yeah it's kind of like someone winning the lotto who's never managed any type of large sum of money they're going to be broke within you know short period of time months maybe a year yeah, Hollywood Henderson is a prime example of that. <laughs> love, love the guy, but yeah. And Wait, he won it twice. He won it twice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's wild. But, but, but as time went on, I think he learned the lesson, and then he wrote a book and became a good author, author at a later point in life. So he mastered football. He had a couple of hiccups with the lottery thing, but then he came back as an author and, and did pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So Started speaking. It, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. It, it's, 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 it's about being honest with, with self. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, that, those were the two biggest hurdles, I believe, in my life. And, and I'm going to tell you where I was mentally. I was, I, I wanted to, matter of fact, I just started. Yeah, I had just started my company in 2005, which is the year before my dad died. Just started it. So when he was actually, you know, having these health issues and slowing down, his body was starting to decline. I actually, 
you know, got my company, you know, started, had website stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just like a moment when I was like, wow, this is the worst timing. Mm, yeah. Was that Fellows Inc.? Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Hey, going strong. Oh, man. But see, and here's the thing. In that, in that time period, whatever the case may be, it was a lot of things I couldn't even, I couldn't focus on. I couldn't. It was like at that moment, I was struggling to come to grips with the reality and then be, how do I continue to work? So that, that rush of emotion that you never saw coming is upon you. Mm. And you're having to deal with that and then, you know, try to get your company in a, in a good state or, or just work, period. Because um, that, that was a weird, weird time. But uh, it's crazy how things will resurface mm -hmm. and how things can come back and how things can be fixed and undone and how things can get better. Um, if we think gloom and doom, that's what we receive. Oh, 100%. But if, you, yeah. but if you think about winning positivity, you also receive that. You know, I'm a big fan of the secret uh, law of attraction, that kind of thing. Yeah. So when we actually focus on better things in life, better things happen, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, um, I, love, I love how you hear a lot of people say, I don't believe in the law of attraction. Well, it, it's not a belief system. It, it's a law that's always working. But, you know, yeah. the, the thing about the secret, the secret was cool, but they, they really left out, you know, the word action is in law of attraction for a reason. Right. The secret really right. is more kind of like whatever you can sit under a tree and think about whatever and it's gonna come. Well, no, 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 no. You you gotta you gotta visualize it, you gotta see it, you gotta feel it, and then you gotta move. Walk towards it. Yep. You gotta you gotta go. And you know the thing about it that what's interesting to me is you know, you know, everything starts with your your beingness, like mm -hmm. your emotional. Uh, state like where you're at emotionally your, right. your beingness and then based on the way that you're being like if you're if you're focused on being grateful and like in that vibration of of gratitude and appreciation and joy and, and all of that kind of vibratory state and then you start doing things yeah then you have things so it's like a it, it's really a be do have Right. What's, what's interesting to me is we're taught in school, do be have. You got to do a bunch of things so you can be something that you have. To. Yeah. And yeah. it's completely, it's completely, completely bass backwards. However you want to say yep. it. Yeah. Completely. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So like, because in act, in actuality, that we're taught over years that the test comes after the lesson, but in real life, the lesson comes after the test. Uh -huh. And that's just what it is. You, you don't, cause you're not going to see it always walking towards you. Sometimes it just pops up and you're just like, Oh, I got to take care of this. So I'll, I'll do this now. And then later on you figure out if you did it right or wrong. Uh -huh. uh, but we're so used to that. And sometimes we may get depressed about, how it was done wrong 
how the mistake was made by ourselves, but you can't focus on that. You just got to learn from it and say, okay, what can I do different to hit a home run? Yeah. You know? Always make new mistakes. Yeah, man. It's, it's, but like one of the, one of the biggest things I remember about my dad, <laughs> he, he didn't believe in sitting still. Uh, he was a very religious man. He uh-huh. prayed often, but he worked hard, hard, hard all the time. And uh, only when he got way up there in life as far as his age, and I don't mean he was extremely old when he passed away, but to do what he used to do and still work the way he was working at that age was possibly a strength. But I remember he used to say, no, this is my exercise. This is what I consider my activity for for the day. So he built his, uh, the second house that he moved into when he left Orange, he moved into a, another house in Beaumont that he built himself. He had a little help here and there, but he built it. And then he, he flipped that one, and then he moved to Tyler, and he bought one that was already there. But by that time, he had he'd already you know, made a good little chunk of change off the first house. And, you know, he got rid of his, uh, I think he liquidated a couple of his companies. And he was doing okay. But one thing he did tell me, he was like, um, you know, at the time, back in the 60s in Southeast Texas, um, the stuff that my father had seen and lived through and gone through, it could affect you adversely if you allowed it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me one day, he said, uh, Damon, he worked at DuPont. He said, if I'd applied or, or looked into or really tried to, you know, I guess fight to figure out this information, this knowledge about my 401k way back then, he said, I would have been a multi-millionaire right now. Hmm. You know, I was you, like, what? Wait. Huh? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah. He said, but at the time, uh, being an African-American male in Southeast Texas, certain information wasn't as privy to me where I was at DuPont. He said, so right. therefore I didn't. I didn't get the opportunity to even read the, the, the documentation. I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Uh, but that, that told me as I got older, I said, Damon, read as much as you possibly can. Uh, not on the internet either. I mean, hard copies or softbacks, the yeah. tangible book. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking the internet. There's some information you can get to quickly on there, but yeah. there's so much recorded or written information that's not on there yet that you still need to have books in the library um so i just said to myself okay then you know expand the vocabulary read as much as possible learn about laws and learn about corporations llc c corp s corp i did as much as i could man banking system financial uh, practices uh construction architecture i, I just dove right in mm-hmm. and You'll never know it all because it's always changing. At the same time, you need to have a firm grip on the knowledge that's available. Yeah, that's for any any course, any passion, anybody. You know. So on the on the real estate side, do you do you actually own real estate? Uh, I used to. I used to have a couple of houses here and there, uh, but I liquidated, and now I'm doing more of uh, the rehab side or new construction side mm-hmm. with houses. Uh, I'm also doing some commercial properties that have to be, uh, I guess, uh, what is it, a build-out. 
so interior finish out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also, uh, uh, I want to actually, you know, own an apartment complex at some point in my life. That was my, that was my dad's thing. And he did, he owned one when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sold his, uh, his interest as he got older because he just got tired of managing it. But um, yeah, he, one thing he always said was, he said, Damon, invest in something that will uh, pay you while you're sleeping. Absolutely. And if you fall asleep in death, it's still paying your family. So I was like, yeah, that's pretty deep. And I didn't realize what he was saying fully until I got older. But a lot of the seeds that he sowed within my mind started to actually, you know, blossom and bloom. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, that's, that's, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. <clears throat> but uh, that was, that was kind of the thing. When I talked to my mom about certain stuff, I'd like, I'd ask her something. Something that would be bothering me. And she'd say, and I was a child when this conversation happened. She said, be innovative. I was like, what, what does that mean? I have no idea what that word means. I was a little boy. She said, go look it up. So I went and I looked it up. And it said, basically, to you find another way to get the same end result, but you create a method, create a path. So I was like, okay. So from that day forward, we'd always say that between us up until, up until she died. Mm -hmm. We'd always say, be innovative. And we'd smile when we said it or laugh out loud. Uh, but that was kind of our thing, our little inside joke, be innovative. And, but she and my, my father and, and, and she were always about figuring stuff out. You know, find a way, figure it out, do something that's going to make sense. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then go forward, plan the attack and then attack. Yeah, that's you're really fortunate that you uh, had that type of information and instilled that you had instilled in you at an early age because you know the whole financial piece and in investing was never a conversation in my house like at, at all. You know, really? Um, okay. My, my father was, uh, um, you know, uh, started cutting hair in 1967 in, in Dallas, and you know, started his own salon, and he's always been self-employed my, my grandfather um was a uh, engineer and contractor and he was a brick mason by trade and he uh, he created a very successful commercial uh, construction company that you know they built nimitz high school in, in irving and uh had a hand in a lot of stuff and all throughout dallas different types of uh commercial structures but taking the money and putting it in places to where the money can continue to work and grow was not part of the scenario. Um, so, you know, un unfortunately, uh, and, you know, my, my grandfather, he, he retired at the age of 50 and he told my sure. grandmother, Hey, you know, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to build this company and we're going to take this money and we're just going to travel because she wanted to travel. So that's what right. they did, you know? And, you know, whenever he, he was uh, about to pass away, you know, he told my dad, I've got, I think it was $32,000. I got 32,000 in cash in the, in the trunk of the Cadillac, you and your brother split it. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, so there was never any, the whole concept of taking some of the money. There's a difference between saving to save and right. saving to invest. Yeah. So now 
me being a 38 and never raised with any of that to that type of information, you know, um, not talked about money was never talked about. Right. Household, you know what I mean? Like you work hard money. And since my dad was in the hair business, most everything was cash, you know? Right. Right. So, you know, it was no wonder when I started waiting tables, it's like, okay, you make some cash and you spend it and you go make it again tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, now, right. Like, yeah. okay, I can spend it and I'll go make it again tomorrow. Right. You know? I remember when I was really young, I think I was 10, maybe nine. I was going through my dad's closet. I was snooping. I was always, you know, <laughs> I was snooping around the closet and I came across a hanging, a, a garment bag, a garment hanging bag. And I opened the zipper and it was just full of cash, dude. Wow. <laughs> and this was in the late 80s. That yeah. was, I don't know how much money was in there. <laughs> I, looked, dude. I was like, oh, oh my, what's my dad doing? Yeah. He, yeah. illegal ring, but right. that's always just stash always just stash don't trust the banks don't trust the banks i I get that but let's figure out how to take a bunch of that cash a good lump sum of that cash and put it in a place to where that money can just grow without us touching it so now now where i'm at learning all these things um i i recently got an ebook called uh what would the rockefellers do right 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 i've seen it yeah and I started reading and I was like, oh my goodness. Like you mean I can utilize cash flow insurance, mm-hmm. my own internal banking system that I can borrow borrow from through insurance and I'm, I borrow from it and I'm paying myself back. Mm-hmm. So I don't have interest yep. in the whole concept of creating different trusts. Mm-hmm. You know, future generations, they have to apply to a board to take loans out and they can only use education or starting businesses or the advancement of the family trust. And they have to pay it back and it goes right back into the family. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. It's exploding. Like what? You could do that. You know? So now my dad, you know, me and my dad, we have a company together. I shared that with you. The whole, you know, windows and siding and, and, you know, it's, it's an exciting time because, I've just had to expand to three crews from one and I'm bringing on a, a salesperson because I've got too wow. many leads right now. And so yeah. I've been having conversations with my dad. I'm like, yo, I found out this information and there's this book and there's this information and we going to do this right, homie. Yeah. We yeah. Right, partner. Cause I'm yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, the money's going to be great, but I love what Jim Rohn says. It's not about the money. You don't set a goal to become rich because of the money. You do it because of what it will make of you to achieve it. Right. The skills right. you're going to learn, the things that you have to develop internally in, in order to even be able to do it. Like the skills that you acquire are going to heavily outweigh the joy of the money. Right. Oh, yeah. You're going to transform. Yeah. You're going to just be a more effective person in all areas, you know, spiritual, right. physical, emotional, right. mental. All those things right. have to come in for you to right. even have a 
and success. And I, I was I was talking to uh, one of my counselors uh, or, uh, just a little bit ago, you know, and we were talking about the whole uh, the whole treatment world, you know. Um, and there's got to be it's got to be deeper than just removing the alcohol and, and the substance. It's got to yep. be it's got to be rethinking about things, creating new habits, working on your spiritual health, because it doesn't matter if you're not like balanced, right. just removing the substance is not, is not. Right. right. Exactly. That's why most people go to treatment. They end up back in treatment very shortly. Right. 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 So I was just having that conversation and you know, it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be a full scale operation. So, That's right. Well, you know, one it's it's been it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot yeah. of work to uh, yeah. really put a lot of energy on completely recreating my whole upbringing, if you will. Right. Now, there's a lot of great stuff. Don't I mean? Yeah. My parents were amazing. My granddad was amazing. And you know, uh, the thing that I was going to say, I remember now, is you're talking about your dad always being active. Yeah. Oh, was the same way. Hey, yeah. he, you want to sit still because he loves what he does so much. Yeah. And now yeah. I fall in love with it too, but my granddad was the same way. Like I remember, yeah. you know, going over to their house when I was a kid and he lived on the lake, Cedar Creek Lake, and he had a boathouse and he had his workshop and he was very, very smart. He could freaking invent and build all kinds of things. Just a genius. Yeah. And my grandmother would sit in the house in a rocking chair She'd watch TV and sun up to sundown, he'd be in his workshop just building something new. Always wanting to build something. Always yeah. wanting to be made. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I've got a lot of those skills, a lot of great skills from my dad and, and my grandfather. And I just, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm able to take all that stuff and now mixing it with even more knowledge on the financial side. Mm-hmm. to be able to uh, one thing that was in that book that I really enjoyed reading about was um, they, it compares uh, the Vanderbilt family mm-hmm. to the Rockefeller family mm-hmm. and the Vanderbilt trusts were set up in a way all the next generation just had trust funds and they had access to all the money right squandering money right and left but this wasn't intact Exactly. Yep. Just laundering the money everywhere. That's why their yep. name not on the list anymore. Right. So um, it was kind of comparing those two things. And, you know, you had to, with the whole Rockefeller method, if you will, their whole concept was we want all of our future generations to not have to start at zero. Right. We want them to be able to have access to the money they need to start a business or continue right. schooling or just those things. Right. And it was very, you know, instead of, if you want a loan, you got to go to the bank and people have to approve it. Exactly. Same concept, but it was a family bank. And that got me, that gave me goosebumps, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it. And, and, and that, in itself is genius because you can almost to, to a point say you kind of control your destiny. 
Yes. It's not as if you have to get the knot or the lump first and then go after your dream or going towards your dream. You have to get this type of financing in order to make it happen. The financing is there. The plan is all that was left for them to do. Now, most people cases, what does it say? 76 or 77% of millionaires don't come from money. Right. They, they come from here. Right. So they had to actually get it on their own and then the money followed them. Mm-hmm. But they had to develop that plan. And I, I'm, I'm like this. The way that I kind of grew up about it, my, my father, you know, graduated from high school and stuff like that, but he never had, he didn't have a college education. Um, my thing was to get my college education and then pursue my dreams as architecture. Um, and there's a big misconception about architecture that people normally don't know. Architects as a whole don't make a whole bunch of money. They don't. They make average money. Hmm. Here's, here's the little, the little hook. When you become an owner of your own practice, or if you're a partner in a practice, that's when you begin to make serious money, just like a lawyer would. Right, 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 right. Gotcha. So my thought from a young age, I never wanted to work for anybody. I just, I just didn't like it. And it wasn't because I was arrogant. I thought I knew everything. There were just so many things in here that I wanted to get out here. I knew they were going to have a problem with it. So I said, if I'm by myself, and I'm doing it by myself, I'm not going to have a problem with me continuing to grow and try new things and develop this or, you know, create that, blah, blah, blah. Because there's always a better way to do something. It's just about the the right person finding it or doing it, creating it. Now, um, (laughs) I know you know the book backward and forward. (laughs) And, and I, dude, I'm, since I last talked to you, I just yeah. ordered this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bro, yeah. I'm about to dive in. This thing's beast yeah. mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, in, anyways, I, I know you know this, this back and back and forward, but I love this part. And I have to read it. I always, anytime I tell somebody about this book, I always love to tell this little story because it's so powerful, man. And it's the yeah. chapter on specialized knowledge. Yeah. Chapter yeah. Five. And I love I loved this right here. And if you guys don't like being read to, I don't even care because I'm, I'm going to jump. <laughs> Only a few paragraphs. Bear with me. So this says, yeah. many people make the mistake of assuming that because Henry Ford had but little schooling, he is not a man of education. Those who make this mistake do not know Henry Ford, nor do they understand the real meaning of the word educate. That word is derived from the Latin word educo, meaning to educe, to draw out, and to develop from within. That's right. An educated man is not necessarily one who has an abundance of general or specialized knowledge. An educated man is one who has so developed the faculties of his mind that he may acquire anything he wants or its equivalent without violating the rights of others. That's important. Right. Oh, all yep. you viewers, don't violate them rights, man. 
right. So Henry Ford comes well within the meaning of this definition. Oh, I love this part. During the World War, a Chicago newspaper published certain editorials in which, among other statements, Henry Ford was called an ignorant passenger. Yep. Mr. Ford objected to the statements, and he brought suit against that paper for labelling him. When the suit was tried in the courts, the attorneys for the paper pleaded justification and placed Mr. Ford himself on the witness stand for the purpose of proving to the jury that he was ignorant. The attorneys asked Mr. Ford a great variety of questions. I'm, I'm doing this like a cold read at audition. A great variety of questions. <laughs> All of them intended to prove by his own evidence that while he might possess considerable specialized knowledge pertaining to the manufacture of automobiles, he was, in the main, ignorant. Mr. Ford was plied with such questions as the following. Who was Benedict Arnold? And how many soldiers did the British send over to America to put down the rebellion of 1776? In answer to the last question, Mr. Ford replied, well, I do not know the exact number of soldiers the British sent over, but I have heard that it was a considerably larger number than ever went back. <laughs> Finally, Mr. Ford became tired of this line of questioning, and in reply to a particularly offensive question, he leaned over. And this is the magic formula, folks. I want everybody yeah. to listen to this. Yeah. Very, very powerful for success. So, once again, finally, Mr. Ford became tired of this line of questioning, and in reply to a particularly offensive question, he leaned over, pointed his finger at the lawyer who has asked the question, and said, if I should really want to answer the foolish question you have just asked, or any of the other questions you have been asking me, let me remind you that I have a row of electric push buttons on my desk, and by That's pushing right. the button, I can summon to my aid men who can answer any question I desire to ask concerning the business to which I am devoting most of my efforts. Now, kindly tell me, why I should clutter up my mind with general knowledge for the purpose of being able to answer questions when I have men around me who can supply any knowledge I require. That's right. That's exactly right. Boom. Delegation. Understanding yeah. what needs to be done and finding the right people to do it. That's all it is. Just Organized so, effort. Yeah, so many entrepreneurs think they got an they got an know and do everything i mean it's yeah. very important to like you know at least know a little bit about all of the aspects so you can find the right people to fill those roles because right. you don't only just start hiring people you want to know it no. you know, you know, yeah um a mentor of mine once said if you really want to be successful you need to find a way to become genuinely interested in other people what, what their habits are, what their likes are, what their interests are. And then if it's a fit, figure out a way to place them strategically into your vision so it moves your vision forward and also plays to their wants and desires. Yeah. That was like, exactly. Oh. Yeah, that's exactly it. Dang. That is exactly it. It's, it's, it's basically you're putting out an ad just like a frequency. Yeah. to say, here's what I'm looking for, 
and the right people will respond to it. The wrong ones won't say anything. Absolutely. It's just, it's just the way it works. If, if you're applying for a job, usually in an interview, you'll be able to tell if that person is somewhat qualified or not at all. Because the things that you're going to talk about, that conversation should flow. It shouldn't ebb and flow or crash. It should right. just go right across. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's one of the main things I've noticed. Um, you're talking about the Henry Ford uh, incident. I use that all the time when I talk to people. And I say, I don't, I don't have to know everything. I just have to hire people who are specialized or specified yeah. in a particular field. I pay them to know. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah, but I I know what the end goal is supposed to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. My my situation right now is almost carbon copy of that. I have two master architects, two engineers, and a whole bunch of construction guys. Mm -hmm. On any given Sunday, they know more than me about their field because it's their field that they've been doing forever and a day. Absolutely. I, I know enough about both to figure out the end result that I want. Mm -hmm. So I use what they are shooting for in my plan to make my end result come to life mm -hmm. same thing yeah and same it, thing. even in life too it doesn't even have to be about business you know not everyone is, you, you gotta have, i love what gary vaynerchuk says a lot of the time you know not everyone's a number one not everyone's a number two not everyone's a number three you've got to have the sevens and the eights because if you don't have the yeah. seven nines the tens you don't have a, an economy you don't have a society you don't have any thing to keep the wheel going Gary V. Yeah. No way. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this, it's, it's crazy. Some of your greatest quarterbacks would never have been known if they weren't a second or a third straight. That's right. Uh, Joe Montana's one. Tom Brady's one. Uh, hey, Warren Moon was one. Warren Moon. All, what are the yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's yeah. my guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, they oh, all had to, Oh, Houston Oilers. You know, I grew up right by Houston. So uh, that was wow. that was my team, man, coming up. And, and oh, you know, wow. now, I'm, yeah. now I'm a Texan and an Astro and a Rocket, you know. But yeah. I guess my thing was, though his team never got the ring, they got close. They got really close. To me, he threw one of the prettiest spirals that I've seen in National Football League ever. And um, it just, it didn't work out in the end. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as far as his knowledge and how he was at QB, I mean, I had nothing but respect for that. I met him a few years ago. Uh, really? That's a big, that's a big guy. Really? Yeah, I met him right here in Dallas. Yeah, he was, he was at a hotel and he was downstairs and I walked up to him. Is I said, Warren Moon. Is he investing? <laughs> like, what's his... What's his thing these days? Uh, right now, he's doing, that I know of, more motiv motivational speeches and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, he's real tight with a guy named, uh, what's his first name? Meltzer? Dave Meltzer? Do you know, know him? Okay. So Meltzer is, uh, is with Warren. He and Warren are pretty close. And then Warren is with another group that does, I think, some type of marketing as well, too. Uh, but he still does stuff for the NFL as well. Of course, you know, he probably still got, he got a nice, probably a retirement package from those guys. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's just, he's still, 
I, I don't see the effects of the game hitting him as as bad. You know what I mean? As some athletes that I've been been around and been with, but yeah, Moon was a to me. He was he was calculated. He was very smart. He was magic. Man. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, like, he was fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, he's he's probably about. 240, 250 right now. Wow. I, I, can, like, I, I, can, I can see him in my mind's eye kind of prancing back like a Muhammad Ali. He was like a – Yeah, yeah. He was graceful. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was. He's a lot like Peyton Manning a little bit. I love the way Peyton Manning plays. He's very yeah. very point specific on every single little move, and he's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Wall, Wall was graceful, man. He uh, went out. When I watched him play as a young guy, because I remember I went to the last Houston Oilers game played in the Astrodome. Did you went really? to that game? Yeah, yeah. Saw it. Uh, watched Warren play. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. Haywood Jeffries, Ernest Gibbons, uh, yeah, Frank Whitecheck. Uh, it was it was it was amazing. That was like my first football game. I think I was in I was in high school. I was in high school, but when I was five. Um, the daycare center that I went to, they took us on a uh, a tour, a field trip of uh, Texas Stadium. Yeah. And, and they uh, they had arranged to have Herschel Walker and Danny White there. Yeah. They, they took us on a tour of you know the whole place and the locker rooms and we saw Starbucks locker and you know all that stuff and then they took us all out on the field right and we got to play um, football with Danny White as all-time quarterback. Wow, you're five. You knew yeah. imagine how massive Texas Stadium yeah. was to some five-year-olds running around in that football field playing with Danny yeah. White. Walker, and then a few years ago, I did an event with Byron, Mr. Byron. Yeah. We did an event at South by Southwest, and one of the VIP guests was Herschel Walker. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was like, "Yo, for one, let me see your muscle." <laughs> He's a big guy. Looks that push-up gun for me, and then I don't know if you remember back in 1986, and I told him the story. He goes, "I do remember that," and I was like. I was one of those little boys, man. <laughs> like, whoa! It was such a cool moment because I, 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 you know, I'm a, I'm a cowboy fan. I, I don't follow sports. I don't know the stats. Don't try right. to promote me, recruit me to your fantasy football. I ain't trying to hear it. Right. You know what I mean? But I just, I've all, you know, I'm a Cowboys guy. I'm a Mavericks guy. I'm from Dallas. Yeah. That was a very surreal moment. Surreal. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big dude. That's another big dude. Massive. I mean, barrel chested, everything. Just still in tip top shape. Yeah. 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 He's like four. He's probably all at two seventy right now. Two sixty five. He's he's a big guy. We're doing a thousand uh, a day and a thousand sit ups a day. Yeah, and you know what? I think he's still involved with. Um, I think it was like health bars and shakes. Uh huh. I think he has his own line, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I believe he does. Several years back, I watched him on TV talk about that. And uh, that's kind of what I remember. I don't know if he's still doing it. And then I remember he fought in the UFC for a little bit. He did? I didn't yeah. even know. Really? Yeah. yeah, he beat the snot out of some poor fellow. 
But yeah. <laughs> yeah, Herschel. I mean, he's still he's still in great shape, you know what I mean? You all met Eddie George yeah. a couple years ago. Eddie George is a really good dude, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing something really important, financial advising to uh, to pro athletes. And see, that's I would love to do that. That was like one of my dreams in the very beginning. Because, see, a lot of people don't know, Eddie George has a landscape architecture degree from Ohio State. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got his own architecture firm, landscape architecture firm. Yeah, it's called Edge, Eddie George, in the name. So. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. yeah. So Eddie's Eddie's done some things, and I, I, a lot of people, I guess, didn't follow him afterwards. But after his career, he got straight into it. A lot of these, well, I shouldn't say a lot. Some of these ball players invest and do things in which you never uh, hear about or expect or suspect. It's a small percentage that do it and do it right, but they do exist. Uh, Eddie George is one. Herschel Walker was one. Bo Jackson is one. Um, Shaq, of course, that's another one that's that's doing it. I mean, Mogul, man, Magic Johnson. But you know, yeah, oh, oh my God, <laughs> Magic, Magic is killing it. He's killing it. Woo! If you want to follow, <laughs> come on, man. But but what was amazing is, and there's another basketball player named Junior. I forgot his last name. He's played for the Mavericks. I forgot his name, but I just saw it the other day. Junior Williams or Junior, I forgot his name. But after he retired, he played for the Bucks, I think. I think he played for the Mavericks. Anyway, but after he retired, he was back in the 80s era. After he retired, he was working at a uh, fast food uh, restaurant. Now watch. If you saw this person and knew what they were doing before and you walked in and saw, what was your first thought? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, if they were playing pro basketball and you saw him oh, on TV, yeah, one day, I knew who he was. Yes. And then you're like, why is he working in McDonald's? Uh, drugs? You think either that or he mismanaged his money, basically. Yeah. Right. Of course. Come, come to out. find out. Yeah, come to find out. He's one of the largest franchisee owners of ex-NBA players. And he was just learning the ropes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kim, uh, Marbury, or is it, is it Mashburn? I think it's Marbury. Uh, that's another one who owns a whole bunch of franchises. Yeah, man. Some of the athletes, even even uh, uh, Beast Mode, Lynch, Rashawn Lynch, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't touch any of his major money while he was playing. Really? He lived off of his, his basically like his, uh, his salary. So any endorsement money, it just sat in the bank. I guess one of my things, one of my dreams at the end of the day was to speak with those athletes about how they invest their money what you do in the league, what you don't do in the league, how to find a way to, you know, protect yourself from, from any type of bad investment, how to, how to create uh, an actual, uh, um, I guess, a, a money machine. And what, what people don't understand is you don't have to be an A-list athlete to create a money-making machine. Right. 
All you have to do is get there, have a decent contract, and you got your seed capital to start something on your own. You just have to have the knowledge along with the seed capital. That's it. Yeah. That's it, man. A lot of, like, um, now this is kind of different, but along those lines, do you remember uh, Samari role and Antrail role? No, can't say that I do. Okay. There were, uh, I, I think, I know Samari was at Florida State as a cornerback, and he went pro. And then Trail came to the league, and I think he went to the Ravens, and he went pro. Anyway, he's he's a he's like a doctor. He's no, he is a doctor right now. Samari is. Uh, on Trail is a doctor. The name Samari rings the bell, but I I, I can't I can't place it. Yeah, he was a he was a beast. He was what a beast. Of- I think brain neuro. Neurosurgeon? I think so. I believe so. But I know he is a doctor. I saw the saw the coat read up on him, saw his name embroidered, saw the tags. It's real. Interesting. I was like, wow. But I, I guess my point in saying all that is when guys get in the league, they're taught from infancy or right after infancy how to play ball. But they're never taught the financial side of winning if you make it. That's the biggest that gets by the pro athlete. Same with the music industry too. Same with same with the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the that's one of the main uh, the main kind of founding principles of recording artist guild. You know, whenever we started that back in the days, you know, we wanted to provide different tools and resources to artists to help them as people, because the label just sees you as a brand. You know. Right. They right. don't. They don't teach you how to you know be smart with your money or you know all those types of things so that was one of the resources that we provided for for artists was financial planning services you know well and speaking of your uh, your boy roger Staubach, yeah when i say killed it he killed it crush you heard you heard what he did which part so, lots of lots okay. of so, okay, so back in the 70s, it was him, Randy White, Randy Hughes, um, a lot of the old school cowboys. They weren't making a whole bunch of money when they were playing football. So in the offseason, they would study real estate. That's what Starbuck did. Mm-hmm. Study real estate. And as time went on, he started making small investments and growing his company. And I don't know if you remember, there was a Roger Starbuck real estate company for a while. Well, yeah, my my uh, my dad's best friend Scott Riddles that I've been playing golf with since I was a kid. He was vice president of Starbucks Real Estate Company for years out in California. Yeah. Okay. So so watch this. The architecture company I used to work for many years ago was hired by Brinker International. You know about those guys, right? Yeah. Brinker International. One of the the chairs, I think, it was VP or whatever, was Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So recently, I say recently, over the past 10 years, his companies have grown so well, you know, he sold it and made out like a bandit. Like a bandit, I mean. Imagine. Oh, my God. It was, it was a, uh, if, if my recollection serves me correctly, if it serves me right, I think it was either close to or eclipsed 100. 
billion? Yeah. With no, a B? Mill. Oh, Mill. Mill. Okay. Yeah. I was like, what? No, 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 not a B. Not a B. Okay. But, but considering that's not bad. No. That's not, you know, he did, he did all right. <laughs> he did okay. You know, um, so when I, when I hear about some athletes that don't have the right people around them or don't have the right advisors around them, it's, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm a financial guru per se, mm-hmm. but I've made some bad decisions and that's how I learned to make the better decisions. Right. You know, so it's like now, um, I read Think and Grow Rich. I read just about every single Robert T. Kiyosaki book. I read uh, Jeffrey Gittimer. Uh, I'm reading Dennis Kimbrough. Uh, it's, it's just all about increasing your specialized uh, knowledge. First, you got to get your, your, the, the correct emotional headspace. Because yeah, if you're all e- about bright and shiny. EQ, emotional, emotional, it's, it, uh, that's where it's at. If you fall in love with the bright and shiny, you'll lose every time. Yep. I mean, and I, when I talk to people about it, they're like, what do you mean fall in love with the bright and shiny? I'm like, every single young man that I know growing up has done this, what I'm about to say, this knowledge. The first car that they buy is the car they've always wanted or fell in love with. They end up upside down. Mm-hmm. That car eats them alive. Hopefully, they shook it off and learned from their mistake. I did it. And fortunately, it wasn't a car that kept me, you know, under forever in a day. I had it for a few years, got rid of it. But I guess my point in that whole exact, you know, that, that life experience was, I'll never do that again. Yeah. And I never did it again. I never did it again. So, like, I had to tell myself when I, when I read up on some things and got to talking to people, my uncle, who was, people thought he was a country bumpkin in Alabama. I talked to him and uh, we had a conversation and he said, nephew, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what? He said, if you can't pay for it in one visit, in maximum two visits, you shouldn't even touch it. I was like, what? He said, one or two visits, hopefully the first one. If you can't pay it off that day, don't bother. I like that. I was like, I was like really? He said, trust me on this. That's a great philosophy. I said, okay. And uh, he knew what he was saying. He, he, I, I heard what he said, and I, and I remembered it, and I never forgot it. He since passed away, but uh, that guy was, he was on something, you know. And now as an adult, I reflect back on what he taught me, my dad taught me, you know, a, a couple more of advisors that I knew were successful. Because, like, when I was coming up, my, all of my dad's close friends were multimillionaires. Every last one of them. They'd always come by the house. But I didn't know I was a kid and he wasn't going to tell me, you know. So um, we just had conversations. I got to know him, shook their hand, we talked, and that was it. When I got older, I figured out, I said, like, wait a minute, these guys, they did some things in their own personal life with this. And I said, I need to interview them, just like Napoleon Hill did. Yes, yeah, absolutely. 25 I interviewed, years. Well, I interviewed three or four guys. And now, periodically, I go back and I read their notes to make sure I'm following the script. And it works. That's what's up. So uh, that's the best thing, man. Get, get, have your knowledge intact. Do not get emotional about your bias. Learn to actually make money while you're sleeping or even fall asleep in death and still make it money for your family. 
Um, and don't be weighed down by past mistakes or hardships that you or we have encountered in our lifetime. It's going to happen. Just learn from it. Keep going. Grieve, grieve when possible, but don't let it take over, you know? So that's, that's some of the best advice I can give, man. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing the, the wisdom, uh, donating your time graciously with little old me and my, and my little, my little library desk over here. <laughs> got my essential oils cranking. I'm, you know, got to keep my little space serene over here. But I, I appreciate it very much. You taking the time, jumping on the phone and and uh, and, and the, and the video chat and, and sharing some really good knowledge uh, for the the listeners now, the future listeners, and and hopefully the listeners will pass on some of this to their kids in the in, in the future. Because that's what yeah. I want to do. So, man, I just want to share really cool perspectives and, and ways of, of overcoming uh, obstacles and turning them into opportunities because, you know, ultimately we're the ones creating our life, you know, and uh, yeah. the more knowledge that we can have about that, and the better off we'll all be. Is what yeah, so thanks, Kim. Exactly, yeah. uh, is, is there any, uh, any, any website thing that you want to? Yeah, man. Uh, go project? to... Uh, like that. Yeah. Go to uh, Instagram. I'm under fellows underscore INK as an ink pen. Uh, on Facebook, I'm under uh, fellows Inc. of Seth Preston Eric Marcus. And uh, we just, right now, we're, it's, it's straight design and build, man. We'll draw it and build it for anybody. But it's renovation, new construction, demo rehab, we don't care. Uh, and we do it not only just residential, but we do it commercial as well. Awesome. And I will say I've, I've seen some of your design work firsthand and it absolutely blew me away. That whole 1.2 million square foot (laughs) facility that you had designed and created and blew my mind, dude. So, uh, your, your services are what's up. So if any of you guys need those services, Dallas Fort Worth right here. Come see me, come see me, man. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, man. I appreciate you stopping by, saying what's up, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us on Getting Live with Lyndall Keith. Talk to you later. Have a good one. All right, guys. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Lyndall Keith. Welcome to Getting Live with Lyndall Keith. Dude, I am so stoked to bring to you tonight's guest. This conversation is going to be absolutely amazing. It's my friend Damon Harris. Damon Harris with Fellows Inc. Architecture, Design, Real Estate Development. Uh, They do all of it. They're here in Dallas. Really cool dude. Extremely sharp. Very talented. Super smart. And a whiz when it comes to the financial aspect side of things. So, so glad you guys can make it. Please welcome Damon Harris. (laughs) 